Wonderful, wonderful. Great to be here with you. Uh, What a treat. Um, I was warned that when I came to San Antonio that there'd be a moment on the weekend uh, when I'd be given a uh, a guided tour of San Antonio by Matt. And that, uh, you know, be saying, let me show you the city. And Mike Blanchard, who some of you have met, said, yeah, it's going to be a guided tour, but it's going to be recruitment. Um, and, you know, I love that because that's what I do when people come to Dallas, right? So, Britt, you know, when you come tomorrow, we're going to show you the city, and it's total recruitment. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, not at all. Um, you never want to cross a bishop who's bigger than you are um, in, in, in the spirit, of course. Um, our, uh, but it's been such fun to be with you all, and uh, what, what, what a city you have, what a church you have, and just a real sense of the Lord's presence with you, and, and, um, and yeah, I can't wait to our next visit. Next time, you know, um, I'll bring Rachel, and you'll meet some of my family maybe between the services. They, they, we've had a great time together. Our passage this morning from John 16 comes at a really interesting part in uh, John's Gospel, as I'm sure most of you know. Forgive me, the setting of our text is kind of in the second major section of the teachings of Jesus in John's Gospel. If you want to turn there uh, in the the Bibles in front of you, uh, we're on page 902 in your pew Bible. And this is where Jesus is preparing what what the, the commentators call the new messianic community. I know, loaded word, right? I see it wasn't in your statement. Um, but it's, it's fascinating because that statement, the new Messianic community, it's, it's a community that has the same function of Jesus, which was to deliver people, deliver people from bondage, that as they worship, they would find a new identity marked by the name of the Lord God, and that they would continue the work that Jesus started. And uh, everyone's there except for Judas, and uh, and he's preparing them for t- the time uh, following his ascension when he returns to the Father. So these are some of his words. So we've had them read. Uh, let, let me just reread them here from uh, these three verses we have <clears throat> from John chapter sixteen, verse twelve. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take uh, what is mine and declare it to you. So the first surprise in this chapter hits us in verse 12. It with a huge, huge surprise. Jesus, I mean, if you had a final few moments before you're going to go off to you be beaten and executed for not deserving it, right? For somebody, for, for people like Jesus about to do. And you had some things left to say. I mean, I just tell it all. Here it is, fire hose, right? But here's the surprise is that Jesus says right off the bat, I have many things still to say to you, but you cannot bear it. Fascinating that he would say that. We see here that he knows, he, he's, he's aware that if we say too much to people too soon, it may not bear fruit. Which I find fascinating. fascinating. And then he carries on verse 13. 
when the spirit of truth comes, let me stop there, when the spirit of truth comes, which is another word for the Holy Spirit. And um, in Dallas, uh, where I am at the moment, uh, there's a lot of mixed messaging about the Holy Spirit. He's either gone or, you know, a dove. And Texas dove hunting season's amazing, right? Can you shoot the Holy Spirit? I'm sure some Texans have tried. Um, you know, where there's competing theologies and worldviews in Dallas either uh, from the charismaniac branch of the church or from um, Dallas Theological Seminary. And, uh, you know, it's really interesting to dialogue with those kind of people. Uh, I love Dallas Theological Seminary. I read most of the stuff I can get that they produce on leadership. It's just fantastic. and uh, But it's fascinating. And so what, when we talk about the spirit of truth, it's really uh, helpful to go to Hebrews chapter 1 because in Hebrews chapter 1, uh, it says that Jesus is the exact representation of God God's nature of the Father. He is that which emanates from the Father. And I'm so thrilled you're going to get lights in 2018. (laughs) Right? Because we're benefiting, I'm benefiting from light that emanates from these light bulbs. And just as light emanates from these light bulbs, so Jesus coming from the Father, He emanates the Father's presence. He's exactly like the Father. He represents Him perfectly. There's no blemish. There's no, uh, he's completely the same in nature, kind, action, and word. They are one. And as you looked at last week in John, were you in John 14? Or maybe a couple weeks ago, John 15. Well, in John 14, if you permit me to go there, um, Jesus says something very curious. It's better that I go than I might send you uh, Alexa. No. <laughs> <laughs> Parenting by Alexa is a new trend, apparently. Just let Alexa loose and the kids talk. Um, feel free to do that for, for a brief time. But no, he says, I will send another comforter in verse 16, chapter 14. And he could have used any term for that word another. He could use any term for another. He said, I will send another comforter. And uh, I don't know if you've been up to Matt's office. I have. And when you go into Matt's office... Uh, the, the, he sits in a chair and you sit in another chair. And the, the, both chairs are different, but they serve the same function. They have four legs. They support your, your weight and relative comfort. And you can sit and talk, right? That's not the, the word another that Jesus uses there. When he uses the word another in the, in the text, he doesn't mean similar. What he means is like the chairs that you are sitting in. What he means is, it's the exact same as he, the, 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 when I send another comforter, he's the exact same as I am. So it's like the chairs that you're sitting in. They're exactly the same one to another. They were designed the same way. They were probably produced in the same factory, same material, same color, exactly the same. When Jesus describes sending the Holy Spirit, he means I'm going to send someone exactly like me in nature and in kind. So here's Jesus. He emanates from the Father. He's exactly like the Father. And he says, I'm going to go and send the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, who is with you and is going to be in you. So it's better that I go. He's another comforter. He's the exact same as I am. So now if you can imagine it, the perfect representation of the Father is now going to be dwelling in the followers of Jesus. Because Jesus is longing, just like your, your statement, he's longing for the accurate representation of the Father in the world. 
that the Father's love and goodness would flow into us, but not stop there, but then flow through us into a world that needs us. Jesus models fullness of the the Holy Spirit. He contains, illustrates, and demonstrates the knowledge of God. Verse 13 carries on. He will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. Let me stop there. He will guide you. He will guide you into all truth. Now, there, there's a, the companies are quick to point out, and it's, it's good to just say this. Um, there's probably a very particular application for this as Jesus is speaking to the 11, because he knows that the 11 are going to be stewarded with the job of uh, writing the New Testament not only writing the New Testament, but of defending the faith in the very early and intervening years. And so he's, he's speaking about a very particular fulfillment of the promise of the spirit of truth guiding them. Because he's saying that the, the task on the 11 who are there present is going to be incredible. But the teachings of Jesus and the work that they have seen Jesus do, he was going to be with them very, with a very particular, specific grace to enable them to uh, grow the early church. But like the other promises of Jesus that are very specific, there's also a broader truth, a broader application for us here. So what does it mean there in a broader uh, aspect for uh, the spirit of truth to guide us into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority? The promise is, is that the Holy Spirit will lead and guide us. And there's the challenge. He'll be here to lead and guide us, but we need to be willing to be led. We need to be willing to be led and guided. Um, I worked for uh, nine years in inner city church in London, and I had a five-minute walk to church. And I looked on one day as I was walking to church as a new uh, shop was being opened up, and I thought, oh, I wonder what this is going to be. Maybe, you know, um, these, these are the forerunners of the hipster movement. Might be craft coffee coming in or something like that. Uh, no, I saw, as I, was wa- I walked to church, saw them kind of opening up. I walked back, and they were spraying it electric pink. I thought, oh, okay, well, I guess it'll be like a girl's toy store or something. You know, Barbie's coming to town or something like that. And then uh, Monday, as I walked down, I walked by it, and I saw they're putting the letters on. I was trying to think, I wonder what the letter's going to be. It started with K, I, okay, N. Okay, this is not going well. And, you know, uh, I walked by a little later. It was called Kinky Ink. Oh. And uh, there, were not, there, there was the only tattoo parlor in the parish. And I thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. Uh, well, there we are. People in church were up in arms. The tattoo parlor is opening in the parish three minutes from the church. It's going to go horribly wrong. What do we do? We've got to protest. And I think, nah. Anyway, the next day I'm walking by and I see the, t- you know, the tattoo, the big, big bear, bear of a man there um, in, the, in the window and I kind of wave and he waves. And I just have this thought go through my mind, which at first I thought was my own, which is uh, go tell him that the Lord loves him. I say, yeah, that can't be God. That must be me. So I kept on walking. Uh, I go home that night. I go right by the kinky ink tattoo shop. And again, this thought goes through my mind. Go and tell him the Lord loves him. And I say, yeah, it's just me. Who would, as if God would say that. And he's a tattoo artist. So, and for five days, I walked by twice a day. And uh, finally, I was like, okay, Larley, uh, you hate needles. You're never going to get a tattoo in your life. Uh, you faint at the sight of blood. 
Um, you're, you would never think to go into a tattoo parlor and talk to anyone. So maybe this isn't you. Maybe this is God. So I took courage in my hand because, um, you know, I didn't really want to be guided or led into a tattoo parlor. But I walked in and I, I met the bear behind the, the counter. And I said, hi, my name's Dave. Took up my hand. He says, hi, my name's Yogi. I was like, what? Yes, as in Yogi Bear. And I was like, well, you're not from here. He says, no, I'm Mexican. I said, well, what are you doing in London? He said, well, I'm Mexican, but I grew up in uh, San Diego, and then I came to London. I said, oh, okay. Um, I said, well, what can I do for you? Are you here for a tattoo? He says, no, I hate tattoos. And he kind of looked at me. I said, you see the church just across, across the street? He says, yeah, I'm one of the pastors there. I said, oh, great. Um, what can I do for you? He says, well, I just came in to tell you that Jesus loves you. So I thought, here, we, here goes nothing. And he says, oh, wow, I think we know that different Jesus. I says, really? He says, yeah. And he opens up his art portfolio and shows me these pictures of Jesus. I said, yeah, we know totally different Jesuses. Uh, you've got like crazy demonic Jesus, and I've got the real deal. And anyway, just came in and wanted to say, you're the only tattoo parlor in the parish, and just pray. I'm trying to think, what do I say? Pray you find fulfillment here. And uh, anyway, I walked out. But we became friends, and I'd come in, and he made the best espresso in, in the area. So we'd have coffee, I'd sit on the sofa, I'd talk to people who were getting tattoos, say, oh, well, tell me what that means, you know, and, you know, that kind of thing. And then all of a sudden, Yogi disappeared, disappeared for two weeks. And uh, we had a midweek, Wednesday lunchtime kind of outreach service for the homeless, recovering addicts, ex-offenders, that kind of thing. And I'd kind of try to recruit Yogi to come because a lot of our parishioners were going to get tattoos at his shop now and all that kind of stuff. Um, Anyway, and all of a sudden, Yogi appears Wednesday lunchtime, two weeks after he disappeared, and his eyes look different. And I was like, Yogi, what what, what are you doing here? Uh, He said, uh, oh, immigration picked me up. I said, oh, yeah, what happened? Oh, I said, oh, man, it was awful. I said, well, what was wrong? He said, the chaplain came by my room every day, three times a day. And finally, I said to him, if I get saved, will you leave me alone? <laughs> and the chaplain said, yeah, sure. And so I prayed the prayer. I got myself saved. I said, well, then what happened? He said, it's amazing. I said, yeah. I said, well, what are you doing here? He said, well, I came to the church the only church I could think of that, that loves tattoo artists. And Yogi started coming to everything. He came to all of our prayer meetings. He came to the women's Bible studies. You know, he came. He was just like early morning, everything. And what, what was curious about this incident is that the uh, senior pastor's wife were on sabbatical. And he started sitting in, uh, you know, in our, that church. There was a chair that the senior pastor's wife sat in. And he just took it. And I wasn't going to move him along. I thought we had three months of grace. So anyway, they come back from sabbatical. And sure enough, Yogi Bear is sitting in, in, her, um, in her chair. And so she sat next to him. And at the piece, she says, oh, hi there. Um, how are you? He says, oh, hello, lady. Um, you're new, aren't you? He says, oh, no, no. Uh, you know, in a British way. I, I planted this church 25 years ago. He says, lady, don't lie to me. I've been at everything. And you haven't been at anything these last few months. And she's like, why are you here? Um, who, who do you know here? He says, see that guy up there, Dave? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's my friend. He's the reason I'm here. And it was like, anyway. So that was kind of yogi. And it was amazing. I was so surprised that the Holy Spirit would prompt me to go into a place I would never have any intention of going to simply share that Jesus loved him 
and that the rest would happen. We often have fears that we have to overcome, things we have to overcome, and the, the best way to think about it is that when the Holy Spirit seeks to lead us, he simply wants us to be the next link in the chain. A chain that will ultimately lead people into the future that God has for them. Every situation Jesus faced, he had a redemptive solution for. Jesus never dodged a situation. His heart never sunk when he was presented with a problem. He didn't avoid problems, but he walked into them with redemptive solutions. He did what he saw the Father doing. He said what he heard the Father saying. And when the Spirit of truth leads us into all the truth, it is, in a way, a similar economy. For you and I to be led by the Spirit of truth, Jesus is offering us a literal invitation for us to be enabled to do what Jesus did, to make his Father known. To bring redemptive solutions to problems. We've been invited into the same kind of relationship that Jesus had with the Father, where we represent the Father. And this is the leading work of the Spirit of Truth. It's taking things that we know up here and applying them in here so that we actually live it out in a way that we may not have um, expected. But we have a choice to make. We have to be willing to be led. We have to be willing to be guided. And like, who would ever say, yeah, I'm not willing to be led by the Holy Spirit? No one ever says that. Yeah, I don't want to be guided by the Holy Spirit. No one ever says that. But because of our backgrounds, because of things that have happened to us, because of good intentions that have gone horribly wrong, things like fear and anxiety can sometimes get in the way. It's not that I'm afraid of the dark. That's not the kind of fear I mean. It's that I've been hurt, and the world has taught me that after I've been hurt, to toughen up. So that if I get hurt again, it doesn't hurt so much. And when we do that, we lose the ability to love. And the Lord has to do the work that he promised in Ezekiel, which is called the promise of the Father, which is to get to work. It can only happen in community. And to go to work on us so that our hearts that have toughened up, become like stone, become soft. And we learn to love again. Um, And when we get let go and surrender, whatever it is, whatever the issues are, the fear or the anxiety or whatever it may be for you, he allows us to share in his work closely. And what does this look like? Uh, I thought it was going crazy. I had just had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. I didn't grow up with the knowledge of the Holy Spirit. And I was driving in rural New Brunswick, which is part of the most beautiful part of the world, um, and I'm driving and uh, vehicular accidents happen at the hands of moose. <laughs> All right. So it's kind of that's kind of the deep forested next to the state of Maine. If you've ever been to Maine, you've probably been to New Brunswick. And I'm driving along and there's this old uh, billboard for a diner in the, uh, two miles away. And as soon as I see the, 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 the billboard, I just start to cry. And I didn't believe men were meant to cry. I mean, I've never seen John Wayne cry. Have you? Is he dead? No, he lives on, right? So there I am crying, and I'm driving down this road, and I have no idea what's going on. So I'm like trying to talk to the Lord, but I'm like, my heart is just breaking. So I, I pull into the diner, and uh, it's, there's no one there, and I, I sit down at the counter, and, and this woman comes, and you know, I'm puffy-eyed, and 
And she's there, and she says, what can I get you? I said, oh, a cup of coffee. She gets me a cup of coffee and said, have you been here before? She says, no. Um, I said, well, what's going on? I said, you know, the strangest thing just happened. I uh, was driving down. I'm heading to St. Andrews, and uh, I just started to cry when I saw the billboard for this diner. And she starts to cry. She says, you'll never believe what's happened to us. I said, well, tell me. She said, I think Jesus has brought, brought me in here because he really cares what's going on in your life right now. He said, our son, our only son, uh, was top of his class, valedictorian, uh, or whatever it is in high school. And uh, for his birth, for his gradu- as a graduation present, um, we bought him a motorcycle. I said, like, oh, great. And um, on the first day he was up with his motorcycle, a drunk driver somehow didn't see him, hit him and killed him. And we feel so guilty that we gave him that present because it cost him his life. And I'm like, if I, had I known that was waiting for me, because I don't like intensity, because uh, uh, it really triggers my uh, flight instinct, because it's just, oh, if I could have glasses, I'd have 2D glasses, just flatten it all out, just because, you know, give me some day. This, and I said, you know, the Lord, the Lord Jesus brought me here to tell you it's not your fault. Is your husband here? He said, yeah, he won't come out. So, well, can, can I come in? He says, yeah. And I, I went in, I said, look, I don't know you. I'm not even a pastor. I'm trained to be a pastor, but the Lord has brought me here to tell you that this is not your fault. And he hadn't cried, and he starts to cry. And so, like, they're crying, I'm crying. I'm like, what do I do? I haven't, I skipped this class. Uh, you know, and so I just put my hands on him. I just said, Lord, you know, from out of Isaiah 61, would you come and just minister to those who mourn? And we had a time, you know, and, and that, that's what it's like to be guided by the spirit is you end up in places you would never intend to go and you get to really represent the father and see uh, front row seating what he's doing at the uh, we find in John 20 after the Jesus risen. If we fast forward a bit, the disciples are hiding for fear. And I love this. They're hiding for fear. And what does Jesus do? <laughs> he walks through the wall. Imagine what that would have done to their fear issues. It's like, you know, there he is, like surprise. I love the comedy in the Gospels. And at the conclusion of this encounter, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I send you. And if you look at every verse that deals with Jesus uh, coming from, you'll see that there's a theme that emerges, is that uh, the theme is that he was sent by the Father to represent the Father, to reveal the Father. And at the end of this episode in John 20, what does Jesus do? Jesus, who came to reveal the Father, turns to his followers and says, as the Father has sent me, I send you. Therefore, our privilege to be led by the Spirit of truth is to reveal the Father. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It means to be commissioned by the Son to represent the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit. Our privilege in life is to reveal the Father to our family, to our friends, to our work colleagues, to our neighbors, to our community, to our city, and to the world. And when I think of that, the pressure's off. The pressure's off. Because it's impossible for us to do this without being filled with overflowing in the power of the Holy Spirit. That was the question that so vexed me in theological college. People asked me, have you been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit? I was like, ah, I'm filled with something, but I don't think it's God, and it's certainly not powerful, you know, and that's what kind of led me. 
And how is power in the New Testament personified? In Jesus. In Jesus, who's seeking to establish a messianic community, a community that will deliver, bring deliverance to the world. Verse 15, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The test of authenticity of being led by the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, is that following him always leads to glorifying Jesus. Encounters the Holy Spirit always lead to witness. If it's an authentic encounter, it leads to witness. How do we know this? Well, there's a similar pattern you find in Acts. Peter um, demonstrates this perfectly. Peter, who denied Jesus, deals with all of the emotions of that, is reinstituted by Jesus, still is working through the stuff, and then the Pentecost event happens, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and then all of the issues of regret, shame, denied Jesus, you know, somebody else betrayed Jesus, took their life. Is that what Peter's meant to do? I don't know if he thought that. The scriptures are vague there. Uh, we don't really hear what's going on in Peter's uh, mind, but we know that he's got baggage. Holy Spirit comes in, sorts out the baggage, and he becomes one of the best, gives one of the best sermons ever. So authenticity always leads to witness in the, pattern, in the things of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit fills us. I mean, we all have the Holy Spirit at conversion. We all do. But there's something about having more of the Holy Spirit that's available to us. And in that place of, of, of being filled up more with the Holy Spirit, he does certain things. He heals us, he empowers us, and then he leads us. It's a pattern we see in Acts that leads us to bold witness. For the Holy Spirit takes what is Jesus's and declares it to us. He brings the teachings of Jesus and works them out through every part of our life. Some of us are really good at compartmentalizing our life, and that's probably part of the challenge because uh, to be filled with the Spirit means to live a life of integrity where there's no compartmentalization. And that's a challenge because especially if you've been brought up to compartmentalize. Turn with me uh, to to Isaiah, Isaiah 61. Because it's an incredible encouragement. And it's, it's, I think it's something from the Lord for all y'all that he wants to encourage you with. Isaiah 61 is obviously well known and powerful. But there's a, another surprise here of what it looks like to be led by the spirit of truth. Isaiah 61 says, The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Here's the surprise. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastation of many generations. Isaiah 61 has every type of brokenness described in it. Every type. Those who mourn, the feeble, those who are uh, captive. 
And we see that the agency of the Spirit upon the one who would come, the Messiah, is to lead them to a place of healing, to lead them to a place of deliverance, to lead them to a place of restoration. Why? Well, if you were a Messianic community partnering with others, seeking to win the city of San Antonio, who would you look for? I would look for the people whose faces are on the signs running for office. I would look for the well-educated. I'd look for the well-healed. I'd look for the, uh, the people who are the elites to kind of look to them to do what they're meant to do. But Jesus says something different. Jesus says, who will save San Antonio? The broken. The broken. Those who mourn are going to save the city. Those who encounter the spirit of the living God and are healed they will be the ones who bring deliverance. They will bring liberty. The ones who are bound, who are set free, they will bring uh, news of the Lord's favor. Those who mourn will be able to bring beauty instead of, uh, of ashes, oil of gladness instead of mourning. They will be called oaks of righteousness, and they will deliver the city. They'll build up the ancient ruins, and they will undo what has been led, what has caused devastation for generations. That's what I thought of as, as um, Matt drove me around. It's like, wow, the vision for this is amazing. And the people who are going to do it are the ones, the least, the last, the lonely, the lost. So what, what do we need to do? What must we do to partner with this messianic vision? Be willing to be led. Be willing to be guided by the spirit of truth who's just like Jesus, just like the Father. And all, what are we going to be asked to do? Represent the Father. I was at a wedding uh, two weeks ago and I was engaged uh, in conversation with a, a lawyer who was an atheist and still felt he should tell me about God. So I said, all right. Uh, so, we're, you know, kind of done, we do Alpha and so I'm taught how to deflect and kind of say, uh, try to look for something to affirm. And I was looking for a reason to leave the wedding anyway. And so finally, I'd had enough of this atheist telling me about God. And I said, do you know him? Do you know? Because that's not what he's like. And then I went a little bit further. I'm not usually this punchy, but I said, you're a lawyer. You would never accept hearsay in the court of law. So why have you taken hearsay into your relationship with God? Because that's not what he's like. He's a God who blesses. And, you know, he'd had a bit too much to drink. And I said, I have so much more to tell you, but you cannot bear it. I didn't say that. <laughs> the world doesn't know what he's like. The city doesn't know what he's like. Your colleagues don't know what he's like. You may have family members who don't know what he's like. And you're invited to be led and guided by him, to represent the Father to him that you would carry with you redemptive solutions to the problems that they face. And where does it start? It starts by being blessed, being broken, so that in our brokenness, we might be given to the world. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to come to the Lord's table where the elements will be blessed, the bread will be broken, and then nothing will be expected of you except to come and receive. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift 
of your son, Jesus. Thank you for the love that you have for us. Thank you for the way that you have sent to us the Holy Spirit. We ask now that as we come to your table, as we draw near with faith, you would impact our hearts, remind us that you've not only died for us, but you call us by name and you've chosen us and appointed good works for us to do that as we represent you, our Father, we would be able to see the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus roll out from your heart into their lives. So come, Holy Spirit, well up within us. Come upon us. Enable us this morning to receive from you deeply that as we leave here today and go our separate ways, as we are the the church sent out, we'd be led and guided by you to represent you to all we meet. Amen.